This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. That's pretty bad. The Raptors lose 145 to 113. The first time we've seen them empty their bench in quite some time. And they get absolutely shellacked by the Utah Jazz, who have been on a good run of play lately. have turned their season around with a lot more health, a lot more punch in the backcourt, something that the Raptors didn't really get tonight. And the Raptors lose their third game in a row. I was. You know, coming into this West Coast road trip, I thought that the Raptors were going to be, you know, I thought that it would be three and three or four and two, to be quite honest with you. And they were on a decent run. They had played a lot of good basketball. And even against the Clippers, without Yak, without Pascal, I thought they had played good basketball. Against the Lakers, I thought they deserved to win. I still think they got a little bit jobbed by the refing down the stretch. Against the Kings, you know, they meandered their way through a lot of the game. They made a mad dash at the end. But it's, uh, I think there's something happening here in that um, you can see the toll. We've seen this happen over a longer stretch of time, but you can see the toll of not having that Jakob Pertl situation. Not having Jakob, everybody coming into the front court, it's tough to contend night after night. Phoenix Playsy, uh donates $2 and asks, Pascal quiet quitting on defense. Yeah. This this has been, you know, I've I've had uh scouts and other journalists reaching out to me about like uh info on Pascal. You know, scouts are obviously trying to get information for teams and stuff like that and journalists for their coverage and you have I have to be honest like Pascal his defensive intensity, not necessarily on the perimeter. I still think his compete level there is pretty good. Um, but on the inside, there's just very little resistance. You can see it. This has been going on for a large portion of the season. Um, he was still grading out as a positive defensively. It has reached like uh, reached a level that's been tough. But I don't want to just completely focus on Pascal here. They allowed 145. And Pascal was the Raptors' best player tonight. And has been maybe the fifth most efficient scorer in the entire NBA over for like a month and a half. He's been incredible on that end of the floor. He scored 27 points on 14 shots tonight. I don't want to be too down on him, but as far as like quiet quitting defensively, yes, we've talked about this on other episodes of the podcast after games, like, you know, trying to maintain health, trying to um, not put yourself in dangerous positions and all that kind of stuff. Andre says, remember when he was free safety on defense under nurse? Yeah, he used to be one of the most explosive backline uh, rim protectors and guys who bust up stuff like that. But um, the defensive stuff from a number of places on the Raptors was just not good tonight. I thought RJ, I didn't think his offense was as bad as it looked. I thought he still made pretty good decisions on offense, even though he finished two for nine. He got benched to start the second half. 
I'm not worried about his process. He took good shots. He just bricked layups. And as far as his defense, I thought it was really, really bad. Gary replaced him. I thought Gary's defense was really, really bad. And his offense, I didn't even, it wasn't even better than RJ's. I don't know what happened. Um, Adnan Hawk says, I don't know squad about the NBA. You know, could be, could be. Um, Phoenix Plays E says Pascal 2020 versus Boston was the top three defender in the bubble. Yeah, Jacob Goldstein got hired by the Washington Wizards and he had a um, PIPM was his catch all metric. And I think the Wizards bought that as well. So it's no longer out in the public domain. And his PIPM was ranked, I believe Siakam was third as far as like defensive impact. He was he was crazy, crazy back then. But yeah, Pascal is like killing it offensively and he's taking breathers on defense for sure but uh one guy does not allow 145 points like the 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 team as a whole is not providing a lot of defensive coverage like emmanuel quickly his punch on ball has not been very good i think he's been good off ball mostly his closeouts i think are really sharp and you know rj i think had a really tough game jante and thad and whether you think it's like Boucher or J- Jalen McDaniels, like none of those guys had meaningful stretches on defense. Scotty even like Scotty was able to uh, like hunt for three blocks. And I thought he had four watching the game. I'm not sure why it's sitting at three and he didn't get like one of those Fred Van Vliet block steal type things, but he, even Scotty was not strong defensively. This team has not been strong defensively. Um, guys are not in as comfortable positions. They've been on a long road trip. They've been playing big teams. They've faced Anthony Davis, Zubats, Walker Kessler, and they've been ash- they've been pummeled. And even before that, the defense wasn't that great either. So there's a lot of stuff going on for this team. And the Jazz, they played awesome basketball. Like they're they're on one right now. Colin Sexton, I think, has provided like so much um dribble penetration he's provided so much rim pressure some of like his rumbles to the basket at his size were really really impressive and like Jordan Clarkson was pulling like crazy you know Keontae George has been like super inefficient this year I think he's shooting 36 percent on the year but even he had some nice lay downs to the big men like a little bit of creation off the bounce um Fontecchio hit three triples two of them to start the second half these rainbows and Laurie Markkinen is like an awesome scorer and he can plug in and start scoring whenever he wants. And Chris Dunn, I thought was awesome defensively. That's a, that is a a big, a big reason why the Raptors struggled tonight. They lost the backcourt battle and they lost the frontcourt battle. The only, the only, like, I think Scotty and Pascal offensively, like in the first half, when it was really just revolving around quickly and Scotty, they both scored a little bit, but the offense overall really struggled. You know, in the second half, it got stronger as they involved Pascal more often. And then Pascal obviously went nuts from three. I think he had three triples over the course of like six or seven possessions. And as far as like the wing stuff, sure, the Raptors like held serve there, but they lost the front court battle, as one might have expected with Thad and Jante. You know, Jante played 31 minutes, and I still don't feel bad about Jante. I thought he competed well. He's a, a two-way player. You know, I tweeted about this. I said, like, he didn't win his matchup, but he won some battles along the way. That's all you can ask for from that guy. And, yeah, Thad just had nothing in this game. Might be a little bit gassed. 
long road trip, been playing up against guys quite a bit. More minutes in this set of the season, like I think twice as many minutes in this little package of games than he had played the whole season to this point. You know, they they just didn't perform tonight. They got killed. Absolutely. Dennis's point of attack defense has taken a bit of a fall off too. Like quickly, you know, he goes three or three from downtown. He scored a little bit, got to the the free throw line, but as has been the case in some stretches, he's not able to kind of build out these offensive sets. Like he's he's not playmaking to all spots on the floor. He's not always capable to like draw defense into places to create looks for others unless there's like, you know, off ball and weak side action built into these sets and stuff like that. So that's kind of a bunch of stuff that happened in this game. The Raptors were always going to lose this game in the front court. Always. They didn't have to lose it in the backcourt, and they did. And that's maybe a little bit too bad, and some of that is the Jazz, like, canning awesome triples and having RJ blow layups wasn't any good. But, yeah, the Raptors just, they weren't able to muster up anything of import in this game. Um, I think, I can't remember how many lineups they had that played over, like, three and a half, like, four minutes together, but they only had one lineup among that, that was actually a positive. So all of their high-volume lineups, none of them came out as a positive except for Pascal, Jante, Gary, RJ, and Dennis. And that could just be linked to, like, a little bit of hot shooting. And they didn't manage the hot shooting. Like, from three, they shot well in this game, but they couldn't muster up anything in the uh, in the in the first half and in the paint. So... um. Lil Yo-Yo says, RJ didn't blow layups. He isn't good at finishing at the rim. Let's not show Canadian bias. No, he... Do you guys think I don't watch basketball? Why do you guys think, like, coaches and players like my stuff? If I'm saying something, I've watched the games. I've watched the reps. I'm well aware of, you know, RJ's statistical profile. But the reason why he was able to overachieve as a finisher, seemingly, once he joined the Raptors, is that he's taking easier shots. Like, his clearance at the rim has been better. He's taken better shots. And tonight, he took pretty good shots. He missed some stuff at the rim. Overall, though, in the paint, he's made a lot more shots. And it's not because he's shooting over his head at the rim. He's making layups he can always make. He shot better from three than usual, of course. But, you know, them's the breaks, man. It's, uh, he had a bad shooting game. That's what it is. I don't think that's Canadian bias. I, I was covering, you know, the, the FIBA and I came on here and I talked about how bad Barrett was and how inconsistent Barrett was. And I'm very familiar with his shot profile over the course of his career. But uh, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. He like, he missed easy layups. He'll make some more in the future. His decision-making was pretty good. He didn't, you know, commandeer the offense. He didn't say like, no, this possession is mine and like go crashing into people. His pacing was about the same as it has been on a lot of other plays, getting to the left side, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think like he blew some tonight. He maybe made a couple like there was a spinning layup into the lane against the Sacramento Kings. He had a one on one possession, kind of a boy drive that he made for an end one. He's not going to make that one all the time. But when he's like taking that hesitation dribble, seeing, you know, how the, the dropping big is going to split the difference between his roller on like a weak side action. And especially like when, you know, the or sorry, in an empty side action. And when the weak side, there's no tag or nobody like pinching in. He can get to the left side of the basket on this Raptors team. It's something he is able to do. Aubrey Losojo says, Samson, did you get that top out of Walt Frazier's closet? 
I'm so happy with this jacket, man. This is one of my favorite jackets I've ever had. It's great. Um, I look like I'm wearing like grandma's couch, but it's cool, right? Um, yeah. Uh, DR says it wasn't just RJ. Everyone had trouble scoring tonight. Yeah, except Pascal. And Pascal, it's what now 10 games in a row where he hasn't shot less than 54% from the field. Do you know how insane that is? That like he has been here. I have the synergy numbers for everybody. So just to kind of update everybody on the, the Pascal of it all. So prior to this game where Pascal scored 27 points on 14 shots over the last two weeks, and this doesn't even encapsulate how good Pascal's been because he's been unbelievable as a scorer over the past month and a half. But as far as points per possession over the last two weeks, seventh was Pascal Siakam, 26 points per game on 20.4 used possession, 1.27 points per possession. That is his, the guys he's shooting the same percentage as. Kevin Durant, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Chet Holmgren, Jared Allen, Jalen Duran, Nikola Jokic. And as far as like points per game, the only guys who are shooting better than him are Kevin Durant and Shea. Everyone else is lower usage and they get like, especially when you look at like J Jalen Duran, Jared Allen, Chet Holmgren, um, Chet the least of all, but especially the, the former two, those guys, they're getting a lot of laydowns at the rim, a lot of dunks, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's been incredible to watch him work offensively. He found his way uh, as far as like, and even Dennis has been ninth. Like his points per possession has been 1.25 um, for like 16 points per game. The Dennis and Pascal offensive creation over the past two weeks has been nuts. And Pascal, you can extend like as far as um, you can just keep going back. Solmo says, keep holding water for Pascal. He doesn't fit the roster or timeline. I get on here and I talk about the players after every single game. And this isn't holding, like, you understand, like, Pascal has been one of the best and most efficient offensive creators in all of the NBA. I It would be wrong of me as somebody who covers the team to not talk about that. I know you guys want me, like, there's a certain sect of people who want me to just say, like, Pascal's bad, he doesn't fit, and you want me to speak to the version of the team that you like. I have to speak about the team that is here right now. Not everyone listens to this stuff to hear me trash players or to do propaganda or anything like that. When Scotty is, like, popping off, we talk a lot about it. We've talked about Scotty more than any other player this year. Deservedly so, right? He's been the Raptors' best player. But your guys' expectation of propaganda or whatever. I'm talking about basketball. I'm not holding water. I'm not doing anything. It's extremely immature and it's like short-sighted and it's myopic. We're talking about basketball. So let's go over a play that the Raptors ran wherein Scotty, who has been much improved in the pick and roll this year and because of the different way that he's able to create defensive changes at the point of attack in the pick and roll, we get an opportunity for Emmanuel quickly to make a really good cut so here we go. Here we go. Everyone can hear. We've got a basic. This isn't really a big set action, but we've got a basic play that you in pickup, wherever you want to be, you can make this play. It's one of the best cuts in the world. It's the same side 45 cut, especially if the guy who is on ball like Scotty has a bunch of gravity on ball is able to create that step up. So we have the Raptors. They have Pascal in the strong side corner. RJ in the weak side corner. Very simple play. Fantastic. 
IQ brings the ball up the floor. He runs a little handoff up top to Scotty Barnes from right here to right here. Scotty's now on the right side of the floor. He runs now a pick and roll with Jante Porter. As he's going to his left, Emmanuel quickly sees his guy pinch in to try and crowd Scotty's driving lane because Scotty is such a good driver and was pressuring the rim early in this game. The defense has to have a defensive response. So when he pinches in, Emmanuel quickly immediately makes that 45 cut behind him. Scotty, being one of the best playmakers in the world, makes that little bounce pass. IQ gets to the rim, draws a foul. Really great play. It's not it's not fancy. It's not anything really. And like credit to Pascal, who's been shooting the hell out of the basketball to keep somebody there that they didn't want to help off that much because he's been so insane from the corners. But as far as like a cut you want to make, as far as like what you want to do in your own life when you play basketball and what you want to see from the players on your team, the same side 45 cut. I know it's, it feels like you're trying to get through a pinhole, but try and get through that pinhole. You'll, you'll be surprised how often you come out on the other side open, especially if your guy is paying attention, your guy or girl or whoever NB and whatever it, whatever it is, whoever's paying attention, find your way, wriggle through and you might, you know, get a layup on the other side of it. Really great cut from IQ and, you know, a credit to to uh, to Scotty to be able to draw that type of attention at the point of attack, because a lot of stuff last year, especially one of the most common coverages against Scotty was a switch or a push switch. And if you're push switching, IQ's guy doesn't have to creep over because you've there's no dribble penetration because you switched it. Easy to set the edge on a switch. You're only worried about the isolation that comes after, right? Credit to Scotty, who's been way better at navigating different coverages in the pick and roll and creating these types of defensive responses. We also had an ATO and a popular one, Iverson loop. I've talked about this one before, but basically an Iverson cut is across the top of two guys. And this is something that the Philadelphia 76ers would run back in like the early 2000s, a ton for Allen Iverson to get him out wide with the ball. And then they'd flip the two guys he cut over into a like a double drag, a 77. And that would create lanes for him to, if he wanted to split the screens, he could, or go over top and get out wide with a live dribble. That's how they got him the ball. The Iverson loop is basically IQ is going to enter to the, the ball to Jante Porter at the top as Pascal loops around. And his defender is going to get caught on Dennis Schroeder. This is a, a small to big screen. So if they don't get, like, if he doesn't come clear the whole way, they can establish a post up for him as well. So this is another tidy little play. They ran, they've run it mostly for OG this year, but they have run it for Scotty and for Pascal. It's a great little play. Um, really big fan of it. <laughs> bad game though. Really bad game. <laughs> uh, the Raptors, they can't, they can't sort it out. You know, it's, uh, it's been tough. Uh, somebody who wants like some fun stats, I guess we can go to one just so people know. Um, I wrote this piece on Pascal as he went through his five of 52 three-point shooting stretch, the worst of his career. And when I was looking through all that kind of stuff, I looked through Pascal's career in 15 game segments to see what his best stretch was, which was 45% over the course of 15 games. And what he has done, I believe he went 30 over his past however many games, every game since his big stretch where he went five for 52. 
96% or like 0. 0.9, 9.6% from the three-point line. Terrible. Is the worst he's ever had. It's It's been incredible. To, like, And then that immediately, the next game, he starts a stretch where he's now, I believe, 30 of 58 from three. He has rubber banded. The regression positively has been insane. Uh, hard to even fathom how good he's been shooting the three ball lately. And it's been a big part of like the Raptors, you know, resurgence offensively is obviously Pascal finding his spot in the, in the offense. And he's been one of the highest efficient, like fantastic offensive creators in the NBA over however long. And that's been like really fun to see. Uh, for the people who wonder about like the structure of the Raptors offense, it'll be different now, but coming into this game, and I looked this up for NBA.com slash stats, touches per game was Scotty was at 67.6, Quickly was at 64.2, Dennis was at 64, Jakob was at 54.8, Pascal was at 53.8, and RJ was at 48.4. These are the touches the amount of touches a guy gets since the trade, you know, seconds per touch, touch time, all that kind of stuff. RJ, Pascal, Scotty are mostly spending a similar amount of time on ball on average each time they touch it. IQ and Dennis as the guards, they spend a longer time on ball, almost two times as long. And Jakob spends a very short amount of time on ball since they're trying to work stuff through the, you know, the high post. And he runs a lot of those like little get actions and dribble handoff actions. And this isn't the night where you look at their offense. I think their half-court rating was 96.9, which is middle of the pack. Nothing nothing to, like, write home about. Um, but over the course of, you know, the trade and all that kind of stuff, I think that they've found, like, a really healthy balance with Scotty as the leader, with Scotty as the focal point, and IQ as, you know, a second focal point, and having, you know, RJ and Pascal kind of, working off of that and being like really opportunistic as scores. Um, yeah, I want, I wonder what happens with the team going forward. It's obviously not great. They've lost three games in a row. It seemed like they were stretching, you know, into, you know, positive territory. Slomo says three and four since the trade, it was three and one at one point in time. And, you know, the loss seemed like that was an encouraging loss. And then, you know, the Lakers game, you're like, okay, they got jobbed. And then the Clippers game, you're like, okay, they didn't have Pascal or Jakob. And then this game, you're like, damn, they just got the brakes beaten off of them. What do you do about that, right? It's the NBA. The other teams want to win. They want it bad. They want it really, really bad. Um, they just... What I said at the start, I guess I'll reiter reiterate it quickly. But yeah, they, they lost the backcourt battle by a demonstrable amount. And they lost the frontcourt battle by a demonstrable amount. I thought they had a chance to win the backcourt battle coming into this game. This was not IQ's best. This was not RJ's best. This was not Dennis's best. They I don't think they got like a, an elevated performance out of any of their guards, really. And the frontcourt, I thought that Jante Porter competed well. I think that he still shapes to the ball really well as far as like his defensive stuff. He makes pretty good decisions on offense. He's a little bit limited by like his vertical pop and and some quickness stuff. And, you know, we're waiting for the three-point shot to like hit a little bit more meaningfully. But I thought he hung in defensively, which is the most important part. And there were several plays that I thought like, yeah, he, he's finding the space on defense and he's providing help, but not enough. 
and he certainly, Jante Porter, is not the linchpin of successful defense. You hope that he would be able to step in and help maintain something. This is what we talked about with Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett. It's meaningful that those guys come over from New York, where they have both existed within an elite defense before. You know that they're not cratering it, and especially Emmanuel Quickly was the fourth, um, for the fourth year in a row, was the on-off winner, the plus-minus winner of the Knicks. He was the best, and uh, that's a meaningful stat. Of course, that's contextual, but if you keep finding yourself on the side of really good numbers, um, you can start looking in the context for things that allow that to happen, whereas you know it's better to look for stuff that works well than to look for stuff that doesn't for like a guy who's losing their minutes. For, and for example, there's there's some guys who just defy that, right? Like Scotty's been the best Raptor so far this season when you account for like offense and defense. I think Pascal's been better offensively, but you know, Scotty's been a better defender. I think overall Scotty has been better and he's a negative as far as like the on-offs this season, but that's just a guy who's had to carry some really tough lineups. And that that isn't a super strong indicator. Steph Curry, for example, when the Warriors have really good defenses, you can see that he exists strongly in part of those defenses. But when they have bad defenses, he's not able to uh, help lift them out of anything. Uh, Phoenix Plays E asks, do I think IQ's underhand touch is a result of how much contact he can embrace without being thrown off balance? Partially. There's been some like underhand, like those scoop layups that he's just missed that you're like, hmm, there's not a lot of uh there's not a lot of contact i think he could he could really benefit from using that extra dribble and the extra dribble is like something that dennis schroeder uses well dennis does there's a million things that iq does better than dennis but you know you use that extra dribble into like a quick scoop instead of using you know picking up the the ball one dribble earlier into that elongated scoop which is really what emmanuel quickly likes to do if you use that extra dribble you can maybe get the defense to step over compromise a little bit more you can turn the scoop into like a swing like a you know a wrap pass around the baseline or something like that and if you're working from that spot on the floor you know dragging the defense a little bit farther and having like your steps you know because you like you can pick up into a pivot and start working from there instead of like if you pick up from way far out and you're trying to get to the rim you're going to use all your steps to try and get to the glass if you use that one more dribble you'll have more options once you get deeper in the paint anybody who's played basketball has if you're a guard your coaches kind of stress that to you that extra dribble maintaining a live dribble for as long as possible and then if you're deep maintaining that pivot so you have adaptability in there to play make all that kind of stuff ben says hit the like button you cowards he's absolutely correct make sure you like it it's free i hope you guys are enjoying this and it it helps recommend this stuff to other people who want to see my silly little journal drawings the notebook um andre says is the answer to defensive struggles different schemes or new players hmm i, I think that there is a few compounding factors the raptors do not have strong defenders in the front court right now like, I know everybody was happy with Thad, and Thad played better than expected, and like that's cute, but it's not good. You're not you're not going to be hold, you're not going to hold down a front court situation when it's like Pascal, who we talked at the top, like quiet quitting defensively. His especially on the back line, his defensive intensity and buy-in has just not been there. 
Thad is not going to account for like one and a half front court positions. Neither is Jante. Neither of them are probably going to account for one by themselves, right? And Pascal, like on a good game, if he gets good matchups on the perimeter, all that kind of stuff, yeah. He clearly, it's, you know, it is what it is. Pascal is clearly trying to avoid crashing into guys around the rim on defense, jumping with guys, all that kind of stuff. He's doing like the James Harden swipes. Um, that's that's a thing that's happening. He's still been a positive player, but that's a thing that's happening. Um, the moment he signs an extension with a team, I suspect he jumps more often, if you, if you had to ask me personally. And you know what? I don't blame him for that. I don't blame players, especially on like the low yield um, and like low intensity Raptors right now. His defense isn't going to save anything. In close games, he does jump. In close games, he does stuff like that, like down the stretch. But over the course of like the games and all that kind of stuff, uh, yeah, it's less intense. And the Raptors, as far as um, as far as what they want to do defensively, their contain at the point of attack has been less impressive. They're extending their shell to the three-point line quickly and being like not quickly the player but expeditiously let's say to get to the three-point line to help suppress three-point shots and give good contests that's meaningful right and as far as you know the core coverage after you suppress the three-point shot on dribble drives not everyone is able to contend so that's that's where a lot of it is coming from and a two dollar or sorry three dollar donation from omi boy or om boy says maybe purtle is good question mark purtle when he's on is like like a high quality center totally um his best stretch he can hang around like 10 12th best center in the nba over the course of the season maybe you're getting like between 15 to 18 over the course of this season, it hasn't been his best at all. So maybe you're getting like, I don't know, 18 to 24, somewhere in there. The farther you go down the line, the quicker, like, you know, trends and runs of play impact where guys have been sitting. But yeah, like OG was quiet quitting on defense too. He turned it up immediately once he got to New York, but he was not giving it his all, you know, when he was in Toronto, not, not close. So yeah. Dog2233 says, if you were to get a prospect for Pascal, who would Samson pick? Um, who is the best gettable prospect? I would have to... I don't, I don't feel that it's Jairus. But I do think that consensus of Jairus and gettability, he is the high point of that, you know, that intersection. That's what I think. Like Jairus Walker is I think the guy with the most like pedigree, potential and expectation as seen by a wide view of people that they actually could get. Jairus is gettable from Indiana. Could happen. I don't know if it will. It could. Uh, as far as like who else, man, I don't know. I think Jairus is probably the high watermark, but and I there's maybe questions about Jairus and all that kind of stuff. Ian says, I saw a couple clips that Caitlin Cooper posted on Twitter of Jairus on defense and he looks so lost. Yeah, Jairus is like lost on a lot of stuff. But you don't make a trade for a rookie expecting, you know, a return in the first season. Maybe not even the first couple, right? Um, if the Raptors want to get the best player 
available immediately. You're probably looking at uh, like Kevin Herter or maybe Andrew Nemhard, maybe Josh Green, I think. Um, that's that's kind of the, those three players, I think, probably give you the best chance at impact immediately. And, you know, that's kind of what it is. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to know like a ton about Jairus. I talked to Caitlin. I've asked about him a little bit before. If he does end up on the Raptors, I will ask her a lot and I will do it on video and audio for everyone listening if that's the case. But I he hasn't played enough with the Pacers to like for me to passively see it while doing my Pacers watch. I know a lot more about Nemhard than I do Jairus. I watch some 905 stuff, but I'm not watching the Pacers G League affiliate. Like that's just that's not what I'm doing. So I don't know enough about Jairus. And there are some people in chat who definitely know way more about Jairus than I do, who loved Houston and loved what he did there. And they have ideas about his potential. But based on, I'll say based on consensus, I think Jairus is probably the highest profile prospect that the Raptors can get for Pascal. That's what I think. The Pascal stuff is really interesting. Um, If you want to hear me talk about it with more... Uh, research done into the the trade market. February sixth, Rivoli downtown Toronto. Last year we sold it out for the the pre trade deadline live podcast. Even if you just want to come like talk basketball with me, in between panels and afterwards, I was in like Rivoli for like I don't know five hours just talking to people. Anything you want to ask me, come hang out and chat, and we can just talk basketball or whatever the hell you want to talk about. It's a cool opportunity for people who enjoy, you know, writers and, you know, talkers, podcasters to come and like, if, if this is, if I'm somebody who you listen to a lot of the time or you like my work, then like we can, we can talk about anything. Shake hands, shoot the shit, all that kind of stuff. I'm a good hang, I promise. Um, I'll try and get some testimonials on that. So that's my pitch. We also have um, a few really special guests that will be there that should make it like really um, interesting, not just from a, a trade deadline point of view, but like a basketball point of view. So stay tuned for that. February 6th, go to RaptorsRepublic.com, buy your tickets. I, I listened to like the Bill Burr podcast like the one time and he did his ads for like eight minutes. So I don't feel so bad doing like a minute long. Hey, we're doing stuff. You can buy tickets. Um, yeah, that's those are my thoughts on like the trade stuff. Um, I do want to say there's a couple really good plays that I want to highlight. Scotty dunked the same dunk he got on max christie against the lakers that they didn't call the end one on it's he had the same one tonight he also had it on kevin durant it's one of my favorite plays of anybody in the nba it is so he's so powerful his legs like to be able to extend the legs while still managing to like be able to load up like you know when i i I can't dunk now i haven't dunked since the pandemic but when i was dunking i was a two-foot jumper I would, you know, gather kind of like a volleyball jump, right? You gather, plant the right, plant the left, close, boom. Like you're powering up from there. Scotty doesn't need to do that. His arms go forever, but he can like extend so long with each leg and still load up on one, like his left leg, go up, take contact and just finish over guys at the rim. He's so powerful. He's, he's, it's a marvel to watch him do that kind of stuff. He had a lot of really like fantastic drives in the first half too, turning the corner, like just like skirting around the edge of a before getting fouled. There's like a really nice possession that he did that too. And so 
really impressive stuff from in this game. And then also, I think RJ's was on Kelly Olenek as well. But RJ, like, driving right, knowing that Olenek's trying to cut that lane off, you know, gather, puts, like, right shoulder through left shoulder and just rips through. He's so strong going downhill. Rips through, turns Olenek, who's way bigger, weighs way more pounds, into a turnstile, steps through and finishes at the bucket. I was like, damn, that's really nice. In a game that wasn't the best, I love that pickup and pull through from, you know, RJ. That step through was sick. Um, some good stuff from the Raptors, but just, you allow 145 points? No, sir. No, sir. Um, C4C asks, is Kuminga really that good, though? I am a Kuminga believer. I like Kuminga a lot. I think he has a ton of uh, utility as a perimeter defender. I think that he has a ton of utility in the future as a backline helper. And I think that he is somebody who provided their spacing in the offense, which the future of the Raptors, depending on how it goes, I think they will have. I... I think that Kuminga is a guy who can be like a fantastic rim runner, a fantastic cutter, and a guy who like there's some strength creation stuff that you might be able to bet on. Now, is he the best like as far as his feel for the game, making reads in the in-between stuff? I don't think so, but he's just he's so athletic. He plays with a lot of conviction, and I think that there's a lot of stuff that he can do above average, and I think he could end up being elite at some of the stuff that he does well currently. And that's how I feel about Kuminga. Um, and then so uh, that's Phoenix Plays E asks, you you don't think Kuminga is gettable? I, I'm talking about like consensus. I think I like Kuminga better than Jairus currently, but I think consensus is that Jairus has more value than Kuminga. But I'm, it's nebulous to try and like, I talk to as many people as I can. I don't, I'm not the big wig Raptors reporter who gets on the horn with Masai or Bobby and talks about it, right? Like, that's not that's not what I'm able to do. I talk to the I am different avenues to try and get information and stuff like that and less powerful people. So the information is subject to change and it's more um, yeah, it's just more, I guess, anecdotal and also like that's just that's just how it is. I'm not particularly upset about it because most of my work is done through analysis, like just the basketball stuff, not the not the economics of basketball, not the transactions and all that kind of stuff so not too big a deal it, it doesn't bother me if like i don't know what's gonna happen with the raptors i wish i could tell you guys since you know everybody wants to know but i'll find out <laughs> i'll find out when you guys do to some degree some things i know a little earlier but yeah uh them's the breaks uh feels like mostly a podcast right everybody that feels like a podcast like what else would we talk about? Oh, okay. Actually, Kelly Olenek. What a play he made. Okay, so I'm Kelly Olenek driving down the lane. I'm trying to go right. I cross back left. Pascal Siakam is right on my hip. He's playing great defense. Suddenly, I'm Kelly Olenek and I transmogrify into Luka Doncic as I like stutter Euro and I like drag out both steps so much. I'm like, Delaying that action, right? Just whoosh, whoosh, this big, long, drawn-out Euro. And I go up for the push shot, and I spy a lob, and I just throw it to the opposite, opposite side of the rim, and you get a dunk. And I'm like, 
Holy smokes, man. For one possession at a time, he's Luka. He is, Kelly Olenek is such a cool player. I, I hope he ends up on a contender at some point. He, he hasn't played super important basketball in a little while, but he's like a very, very unique bench guy out of the front court. One of the most unique in the league. OG3 says, did you say feckless rebounding and defense was feckless? Let's hit the feckless air horn. Yeah, feckless, feckless, uh, feckless defensive effort tonight. That's, uh, that's, that's true. Yosef Cassidy says, did I miss the labor rights rant? Uh, no, I don't think I have one for, for anybody tonight. Um, what I do have is, you know, uh, SDPN, you guys have seen him on the podcast for anybody listening or watching. It's Fandi Arberhaney, um, a dear friend of mine, a fantastic, like fantastic at what he does. Um, he will have work with Forbes and Raptors Republic going forward. Stay tuned for that. But he was laid off from the Steve Dangle Podcast Network. Go follow him on Twitter and stay tuned to all of his work. He's fantastic at it. And just, you know, a little more support for him just because, you know, that sucks ass. And he'll be doing something soon, I'm sure. But just go and uh, go follow him so you know what he's uh, doing. Buster Marblethorn. 10 out of 10 name. 10 out of 10, man. Um, quote, why does Canada still like hockey so much? It's 2024. Hmm. I played, I grew up in Saskatchewan. So I played hockey until I was like 15. And so I was playing what they call, I don't know if they still call it midget hockey. But uh, I was playing midget hockey before I hit my growth spurt. I was like five foot three. I was such a small guy. And as far as like the, the culture around hockey, I didn't like it very much. Um, I like I played basketball, like a decent level of basketball. And I never noticed it getting like as regressive or as like toxic in a lot of the ways that I think people understand hockey culture to be. I just didn't notice that in basketball basketball has become in my life one of the best ways I've been able to make friends. When I lived in Mexico, playing on the courts there was like a great way to make friends and all that kind of stuff. Um, I haven't found hockey to have like the same level of like diversity or community and it still has a lot of like regressive aspects to it. And that's maybe like the the most difficult aspect of it, I would say, is that people get turned off from it. And there's also like CTE and other you know, situations. My favorite player was Paul Correa and his brain got beat around while he was playing like crazy. And he has to be so careful the rest of his life about his noggin and all that kind of stuff. So hockey has its like downsides, but I really liked playing hockey, like playing, you know, shinny or like scrimmaging around and all that kind of stuff was fun. I think it's a really unique sport. I think playoff hockey is like very obviously like compelling and engaging and exciting and the like the variance of hockey is really really like man there's a lot of like as a sport it's so unique and it's cool but yeah the culture stuff you know as ben says hockey canada has a sexual assault fund i like the reporting around that kind of stuff and what's come out over the past you know however many years i think is like a natural progression of how people understand how things have been around hockey for so long anybody um anybody who played hockey Anybody who saw what happens there, I don't think is like, shouldn't, if you were surprised by that kind of stuff going on, I think you were maybe a bit ignorant um, or unaware um, and maybe 
choose to be that kind of thing. But yeah, hockey, I hope it has a brighter future in Canada as far as like what what kind of culture it has around it. Um, yeah, Phoenix Blazy says it's almost 1 a.m. about to fall asleep. Like sub comment for the algorithm. That's right. We should all go to bed now. It's almost 1 a.m. Certainly not the 2 a.m. ones we've been doing after the Lakers and Clippers games, but that feels like a podcast, right? We move. The Raptors still have decisions to make about their roster. They still have decisions to make about, you know, how things are going to go. They have some home games coming up. I'm excited to talk to the players again because I haven't been able to talk to them in weeks, almost a month, because the last game I covered in Toronto was the Denver game. And as far as anything else, they've been gone. And I was also in Saskatchewan. So I haven't talked to the guys. I have to talk to Manuel quickly about his jump shot and unique aspects of it and all that kind of stuff. I've talked to a bunch of the players. So I'm excited for that. And I hope they play good basketball once they get home. We move. All right, everybody. To the people in chat, thank you for being engaging, as always, insightful and kind and hanging out on a late night. My thoughts on the Jerry Krause stuff. Uh, they booed an old woman who I don't think had any tangential relation to basketball decision-making. That's a little bit tough. That's my thoughts on that. For all the other stuff, listeners of the podcast, hope you're enjoying while walking the dog, just hanging out by yourself, whatever the hell you do when you listen to this kind of stuff. Glad to chat. Okay, everybody. Whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day. Blast day. Have a blessed day. And... Goodbye.